Good morning, church. It is good for us to be together. It was on, I promise. Special welcome to those that are joining us online this morning or listening on the radio and KTCU. We are glad that wherever you are, that you are here with us and hope you feel the sense of being a part of this community of faith. During this season of Lent, we have been reading through the Gospel of Luke as a congregation. We put together a reading plan, a little bit of... A little bit each day. We've called Luke's gospel the gospel of nobodies because what we have seen over and over again on just about every page, on just about every page, is that Luke, more so than any other gospel, is portrayed as one who is most concerned with those that society sees as nobodies. That on every page, you see him looking to, to minister to, to care for those who are, are marginalized, those who are made to feel small, those that are rejected, the outcasts, the worthless. And he says to them, reaching out to them, you are not a nobody. No matter what anybody else says, no matter how hard the world tries to convince you, you are not a nobody. In the eyes of God, you are somebody. You matter to God. We see him on every page, constantly lifting up the lowly. And we also see in the same way that those that society oftentimes sees as somebodies, they end up being the ones who were blind, that didn't see the truth, that couldn't quite figure out. They don't understand who Jesus was, what his ministry was all about. And in the end, in the process, show themselves as being nobodies. We see that again in this account that we're about to hear, the story of the cross. We look at Luke's account of the crucifixion, and we see that Jesus turns to a thief on a cross, somebody who is worse than a nobody, and offers him paradise. While people should have known, the people who should have known who Jesus was, what his life, what his ministry was about, they end up mocking him, missing out. What I want you to think about as you listen with open ears and open hearts to this text that you're about to hear is that this is not just the story of the climax of the Gospels. It is not just Jesus' defining story, but it is also the defining story for those of us who follow Jesus. This is our defining story as well. So I invite you to listen to these words from Luke chapter 23. From the 23rd chapter of Luke, here begins the reading. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. The leaders scoffed 
at him. The soldiers also mocked him. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he replied, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly, this man was innocent. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I probably don't need to remind you that crucifixion was a horrible form of death, that it was practiced long before the Romans ever picked it up, but they, they perfected it. They perfected the process of making this, this form of capital punishment inflict as much pain as possible and to last as long as possible. In fact, the word excruciating, the word excruciating has at its center, there in the middle, the cross, crucify. To be crucified was to experience excruciating pain. And if it was practiced just right, it would last for up to three days. Sometimes it took three days to die on the cross. Jesus, Jesus suffered for only six hours. But it was a long, slow, painful, cruel way to die. It was designed as an element of torture. And you were hung there on the cross completely naked. Stripped completely bare, one final act of humiliation, taking away any dignity that you may have had left. And you weren't just hung someplace outside of you. No, you were there by the entrance of the city. So anyone coming or going would, would see you, would look at you. And you would serve for them as a reminder, as a reminder that this is what happens when you disobey the rules and the laws of Rome. 
And it was in this setting, in this context, as he hung on that cross that Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. It's one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture. That here is Jesus being tortured to death, humiliated, mocked, is praying for their forgiveness. Now, it's important to remember that one of the things that landed him on that cross in the first place is that he was regularly forgiving people's sins. And throughout the story, he forgave people of their sins, a prostitute, a tax collector, over and over again, we see him forgiving people of their sins. And this deeply upset the religious leaders of the day who, who didn't believe that he had the authority. Who do you think you are? No one has the permission to forgive sins except God. Who are you to say that you forgive sins? I suspect that that was maybe a question that they should have wrestled with a little bit more deeply. For if they would have, they may have understood that he did have that authority. But here, hanging on the cross, he's not only forgiving sins, but he's also pleading with God to forgive their sins as well. This is an astounding piece of information. And he prays, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But of course, Rome knew exactly what they were doing. They understood exceptionally well what they were doing. The Romans knew exactly what they were doing. They were killing someone that they thought was claiming to be the king over and above Rome. But Jesus, but Jesus knew, knew that if they really understood in the heart of hearts who he was, if they understood, none of them could have done the things that they were doing. And those religious leaders of the day, the ones that called for his crucifixion, who, who saw Jesus as a threat, had they really understood, they never, never would have pleaded with Rome for him to die. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's important for us to remember that this prayer paints a picture for us of, of what was happening on the cross, that it is essential. Essentially, at its very core, it is about redemption. It's about forgiveness. It's about a new beginning. It's about a fresh start. Not just for Jesus, but for all of the human race. Now, Luke is not exactly clear who them is. Forgive them, for they do not know. They, Luke's not clear. In the original Greek, it's not clear at all. It could have been those that had nailed him to the cross, stripped him of his clothes and also his dignity. It could have been the Jewish leaders of the day that had called for him to be killed in this way, it could have been the crowd, the crowd that had morbidly gathered there together to watch this man die this slow, painful death. It could have been the thieves that were on either side of him. It's not exactly clear. Maybe it was all of them. Or maybe it was not just them. Maybe that prayer, forgive them for they know not what they do, is, is a prayer that echoes down through history. And here we are 2,000 years later, and Jesus hanging out on the cross looks down across time and sees you, sees me, sees us, and says, God, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't fully know what they're doing. You see, this act of forgiveness, this act of grace, is one that we need to be reminded of. 
over and over and over again. In my last congregation, there was a woman who had a hard life. And part of those struggles, part of that difficulty, came as a result of some of her own actions, decisions that she made, temptations that she gave into. And one day, at the end of her rope, she came to see me in my office. And she began to confess and to pour out all of the regrets and all of the things that she couldn't let go of, the guilt and the shame. And as she did, tears started to form in the corners of her eyes. And finally, she said, Russ, you know, I hear you talk about forgiveness. I hear you preach about the importance of forgiving others and letting others forgive you, she said. But I I believe in my head. I believe in my head that, that God forgives me, but I can't believe it in my heart. She had not yet made that journey, that, that 18 inches that sometimes takes us a lifetime between the head and the heart. I, I, I just can't accept God's forgiveness because I can't believe that God would really forgive me. I thought for a moment about how I was going to respond, and finally I, I asked her if she remembered what pray, Jesus prayed for while hanging on the cross. And she nodded. And I said, do you know who he prayed that for? They were the ones that had driven spikes into his hands and his feet. They were the ones that humiliated him, mocked him, stripped him naked. He prayed for them. He prayed that God would forgive them. And then I asked her, Do you not believe, therefore, that he would look at you and pray that same prayer? And now the tears that were in the corner of her eyes began to roll down her cheeks. And I asked her, I said, is there anything that you have done that comes even close to what they did to him? And yet he prays that for them. He prays that for you. Father, forgive this one. Father, forgive this one. She didn't know what she was doing. You see, in this prayer, this act of grace, we see something profound that Jesus, Jesus prayed for your forgiveness, that you are forgiven. And I don't know if there's something that you carry, if there's a guilt, a regret, a sorrow, and you just can't imagine. You just can't imagine that God would ever forgive you for that. Or maybe it was something foolish that you did last week. Or something that you left undone. But I want you to know. I want you to know not just in your head but also in your heart. That there is nothing. That there is nothing that you can ever do to make God love you less than God already does. There is nothing that you can ever do to make God stop loving you. Church, I want you to. Say this phrase after me. Jesus prayed for my forgiveness. I am forgiven. Jesus prayed for my forgiveness. I am forgiven. I want that to become your mantra in the days and weeks and months ahead as you begin to make that journey from head to heart, to know in the heart of hearts that you are indeed loved by God, that you are forgiven for anything that you've ever done or left undone. But it's important for us to remember that this wasn't just about your forgiveness. 
that it was the embodiment of the way that Jesus lived. He was modeling for us how to live. He was showing us that this, this is what it means to be human. This is how we are to live in our day-to-day lives. Did you ever notice that he spent his entire ministry talking about forgiveness? That he was preaching about forgiveness from God over and over again. He was regularly telling the disciples that this is the way that you are to live. This is the way. You've got to learn to forgive and so they came and says, well, how many times, Jesus? Seven? Is that, is that going to be enough? And he says, no, 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 no. Not seven, but 70 times seven. And there was another time when he came and he said, he said you are to love your enemies and to, to pray for those who persecute you. They came to him one time and said, somebody slapped me on the face. What should I do? He said, turn the other cheek. They came to him one time and says, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, pray this way. He said, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Over and over and over again, he talked about forgiveness. I believe it's because he understood that the human condition, our propensity to try and hurt one another, to hold on to that guilt and that shame that we would carry, he knows that we cannot live without forgiveness. The truth is that we can't stay married without learning how to forgive. We can't live with a roommate for four years in college without learning how to forgive. We can't work with someone for very long, share a cubicle without learning how to forgive. We can't maintain friendships. We can't love our parents or our children without learning how to forgive. But not only that, I think if we were to blow it up at some sort of macro scale and look at all of the problems in the world, some of the great problems, the wars, the conflicts, everything, that somehow, somewhere underneath it all is this unwillingness to forgive or to ask for someone else's forgiveness. This is the way, Jesus says. This is the only way, the only hope that we have is to get really good at forgiving. Now, I'll be honest. I like to think that I'm pretty good at letting things go. That I'm not one of those people that holds on to things. I don't carry things with me for very long. I don't let that bitterness and resentment build up. I don't let it turn from hate to anger to revenge It's not something that I think that I have a huge issue with. But boy, let me tell you, every once in a while, somebody will say something. Somebody will do something. Somebody will pull in front of me in traffic. Somebody, something little will happen, and it will trigger something that is deep within me that I didn't even even know was there. And in that moment... Something happens, and God reminds me, Russ, you are not all that clean in this situation. (laughs) You've got some work to do. And I'm willing to bet that all of us, all of us have some work to do in this area. And maybe it's just one person, maybe it's just one situation, but all of us carry with us 
And some of you may say, well, yeah. But I'm unwilling, I'm unable to forgive that person over that situation because what they did, it hurt me. It really hurt me. It was unforgivable. To which I would remind you that forgiveness is not necessarily saying that what that person did to you was okay. It's not giving them a free pass. It's simply allowing them, allowing you to no longer hold that against them so that it doesn't own you anymore. Forgiveness oftentimes has more to do with your own spiritual health than it does the well-being of the other person. But I also suspect that if you were to tell Jesus about this situation, about how hard it was, about how painful it was, how humiliating it was to you, that he would probably say something like, oh, really? It hurt? It was embarrassing? It was humiliating? It was unforgivable? Remember what they did to me. And tell me that it's unforgivable. You know, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all tell us that there were two criminals who were crucified with Jesus. One on the left, one on the right. And not only that, but standing around there was this crowd. And there were these soldiers that were taunting him. There were these religious leaders mocking him. And it's not enough that he's, that he's naked, that he's being humiliated, that he's dying this excruciating death. But they're going to do whatever they can to make him feel like a nobody. But I would ask you, who in the end is the somebody in this scene? But yet, in that moment, he becomes a nobody for us. And yet they continue to diminish him, to do whatever they can to make him feel small. And one of the men, one of the men, the thieves next to him joins in in the taunting and says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. If you really are the Messiah, save yourself. Save us. And then he uses that same phrase that we started with our service today, Hosanna. Where Holy Week begins, Hosanna, save us now. He says the same thing, save yourself, save us. And when I hear this story, I oftentimes wonder why this man dying on a cross next to Jesus would mock the person hanging next to him. What would happen in that moment? Why why would he do that? And then I start to ask the bigger question, why does anyone mock anybody? Why, does, why do we tease people? Why do we make fun of them? To which I would say that it probably has something to do with our wanting them to feel a little lower than us. That it makes us feel bigger. I make fun of you to try and make you feel smaller while making me feel bigger. And I would argue that that comes out of a place of woundedness, out of our own pain, our own insecurity. Isn't that what bullies are? They are people who are weak and small and insecure, and they want others to feel as badly about themselves as they feel about themselves. And so this man dying on the cross looks over at Jesus and says, yeah, what they said. You're a nobody. 
But the other one, the one on the other side, he says, don't you fear God? To this other criminal on the cross, aren't you getting the same punishment as him? We got what's coming to us, he says, but, but he, didn't, he did nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. And what's fascinating about that is that this man stands up for Jesus of all the people, of all the crowd, of all the soldiers, of all the religious leaders. He's the only one who gets it right. This man has done nothing wrong, he says. And then he turns to Jesus and he prays that simple prayer. He didn't know it was a prayer at the time. It was simply a request that expressed a simple faith. And he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, please just remember me. Now, we don't know the story, the backstory. We don't know what led him to this moment. We don't know what led him to do the things that he did to get him in this predicament. All that we know is that this man, this nobody, this lower than a nobody, had just enough faith in that moment. The only thing he knew was that he was dying and that Jesus was his only hope. He had just enough faith. And that's all it took. And Jesus responded and said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, even as he is dying, hanging, naked, humiliated on a cross, Jesus is seeking to save, not himself, not himself. They're all crying out, save yourself if you're somebody, save yourself. No, no, I'm not going to save myself, he said but I will save him. And I will save her. And I will save him. And her. And him. And her. And him. And her. And her. Even her. <laughs> you see, friends, you are somebody to Jesus. And the world may try to make you feel small sometimes, make you feel like you're a nobody. But hear me when I say you are somebody to God. No matter what you've done, no matter how small your faith is at times, you are somebody to God. And you are forgiven. Say that with me. You are forgiven. Amen.